So in the early days, Lively had one employee, it was me. Our first full-time hire, Allie, she was working for a company for 10 years. So I brought her in as a vendor. And then I noticed after our first meeting, she came back a week later with a beautiful deck and a PowerPoint. I'm like, you know I don't have any money, right? Like this company hasn't even launched. What is going on? And she's like, I just want to work here. I have to be a part of this. I needed to create an environment and create that idea of this is going to be something vast. This is going to be something that impacts the world. This is going to be something so much more than just selling bras. From GGV, this is Founder Real Talk, where we get real about the challenges that founders and startup executives face and how they've grown from tough experiences. I'm your host, Glenn Solomon, managing partner at GGV Capital. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app to help others find this podcast. Without further ado, here's today's episode. Today, we're recording from Lively's offices in New York City. I'm joined by my colleague, Robin Lee, as guest host. Robin's a vice president on the investment team here at GGV Capital, and she focuses on consumer investments, working closely with fellow managing partner, Hans Tung. We're joined by today's guest, Michelle Cordero-Grant, founder and CEO of Lively. Lively is a lingerie brand that blends the best elements of high style and comfort between lingerie, active, and swimwear. Robin, can you tell us a little bit more about Lively and about how you got to know Michelle? Sure. I first got to know Michelle as an avid customer soon after Lively debut in 2016. She was kind enough to answer my message, and after our very first meeting, we knew we had to invest in her. One of my favorite things about Lively is that the brand focuses a lot on inclusivity. Not only is it very accessible from a price point of view, but it's also a product for women and girls of all shapes and sizes. Michelle is the brains behind Wear Lively, which she launched in April 2016. Since then, she has built a community of strong, smart women around her and around the brand. Prior to Lively, Michelle spent the tenure of her career at Federated, VF Corporation, and Limited Brands. GGV led Lively seed financing, and I've been lucky enough to be a board member in the last two years. We are so excited about the trajectory Lively has that we recently led their Series A two years right after our initial investment. Michelle, welcome to Founder Real Talk. Thank you so much for having me. In your own words, can you tell us about what prompted you to start the company and the movement that has become Lively? Sure. You know, I had the sincere pleasure of growing up in retail. I worked for major retailers like Federated and Victoria's Secret, as um, Robin so kindly mentioned. And I really fell in love with the idea of concept to customer, the idea that you can really impact human emotion and human psyche with the power of brand. But what I found was lacking uh, in the industry was relevance and how we were using the power of brand. You know, I was working for a company that was so phenomenal from a business standpoint, Victoria's Secret, but from a marketing and from an impact standpoint, I no longer resonated as a customer. And so for me, I felt that I had the opportunity to create a conversation within the space of lingerie, one that is about inspiring women around individuality, around confidence, and really unlocking your inner power and uniqueness. And most importantly, creating a community of like-minded women that could really channel that power of community confidence and uniqueness in experiences, in brand, and in product. So you, you came out of this industry. Was there like a moment where you decided, I'm going to start a company? 
company? Was there that spark moment or was this just a gradual evolution in your thinking that this product, this brand needs to exist? Uh, the moment actually was in 2011. I had just gotten married and I was at work one day and I realized one day that I was looking at my top 10 styles as a lead merchandiser and I didn't buy any of them and I didn't wear any of them. And on that same day, I remember looking at a marketing campaign and saying to myself, I'm not sure why I aspire to be that woman in that image because her and I are so far apart and so mm. different. And that's the moment when I realized I needed to create my own conversation because I wanted something that one day my daughter could aspire to be. So very personal for you. Yeah. That's cool. So Michelle, you mentioned that you know one of the company's founding principles is about inspiring, empowering women, unlocking their inner power and potential. How did you decide that you know this principle is necessary and how did it play out in the company so far? Sure. You know, it actually started with me. I realized that I was spending my career executing ideas and so forth that were built by corporations, but they were for products that were inherently for women in the end, but led by men in terms of the decision making. And so it just didn't click that I was wearing a product as a woman, but the decision was made by males as to what was sexy, what was comfortable, and what was unique. Um, And so the idea came, well, what if we created products for women by women and took it a step further where it was not just women within a company, but women in a community. Let them decide what the images are. Let them decide what the words are within the copy. And most importantly, let them decide what the styles are. One of the things that struck out to me about Lively the first time I bought was that the straps have adjustment in the front. I was like, how could I have gone my whole life with a bra that like could not do that? And of course, it was designed by women. So now we have it. <laughs> exactly. It's moments like that that we had just these incredible aha moments. We're like, all of these bras, you know, they don't convert from a traditional wearability to J-hook. But as women, we go from a button-down shirt to a tank top all the time. So just that ease of adding a J-hook in front adjusters, like, where has this been all of my life? <laughs> J-hook, adjusters, uh, I have a lot to learn here. <laughs> so empowerment has been such a huge part of growing this lively community that you mentioned, and you've been cultivating this community even before you launched a company, and I totally remember that. This community of ambassadors is now well over 40,000 strong, and it's so exciting. How did you do it? And can you tell us, you know, what are some of the challenges you've had and how your team is growing and fostering this community? Sure. You know, the the ambassador program honestly happened organically. It started as a mission for us to gather and find like-minded women, women that believed in the ethos of Lively. And so three months before we launched the brand, in February of 2016, we posted our first Instagram image. It was an image that was voted upon by focus groups with words that were acknowledged by women of all different backgrounds. And as soon as we posted that first image, we got direct messages that day. Wow. And I remember the first DM was from a girl named Taylor Tippett in Chicago. She had 100,000 followers and she was a flight attendant. But the uniqueness about her is she used to put post-it notes in the windows of airline airplane seats that said, your day's about to get better. Or things are only going to get better from here. She was inspiring people to live life happy and purposefully and confidently. 
And so we realized in that moment, if we could find, you know, a hundred women, not even a thousand women, just a hundred women across the country that shared this type of mentality, perhaps they could be our marketing channel. And so we did that. We went for the middle of the country and we went to women in Denver and Nashville and so forth. And they inherently launched the company. But once we realized that they were with us on that launch day, the first 45 days we shipped to every state of the country because of the power of these women that we needed to give back to them. And so that's where the idea for the ambassador community came from. It had to be about physical interactions and how we can not just bring women together, but also help them unlock that human uniqueness and that inner confidence. So were you active on Instagram personally prior to starting the company? Was this a medium you were comfortable with? Or when did Instagram become such an important part of your strategy? Yeah, so uh, funny enough, I got my first Instagram account on February of 2016, <laughs> the same day <laughs> that we posted our first Instagram. My team you know, shared with me, like, Michelle, you personally obviously need to be on here. And they were the ones that helped me you know, really get comfortable on the medium. But it was love at first sight. As soon as I got on there and I was able to start to chat with these women and create those connections, I realized that this was the best medium for us to launch our company and our brand. You know, Robin and Hans have spearheaded for GGV a lot of our investments in consumer, and increasingly we've been investing in companies that are going direct to consumer, building brands direct to consumer. And it seems like for you, the Instagram and social channel more broadly has been really important in that. Can you talk a little bit about how you manage a business when social is such an important part of the go-to-market? Do you have metrics that you think about? How do you staff the team to try to optimize for Instagram and other other social feeds. Sure. You know, when you have a company that is very focused on social media, you have to stay very close to how your consumer is interacting on those mediums because they're ever changing. And I say that in the element that if you think about back in 2016, Instagram stories didn't even exist. Yeah. You couldn't tag a post and have someone buy from that post. So that just demonstrates within 2 years how that landscape has changed so quickly. And so you have to be very close to how the consumer is acting and transacting within those environments. And so we staff against that. We know that we need to have more bandwidth within those arenas because it is ever-changing. And so to stay ahead, you have to be really flexible and agile and have the manpower to support those transitions. Any future social endeavors that you plan that you haven't started yet, perhaps a podcast like this one or or something like that, that you might uh, find useful to, to speak to your consumer? Absolutely. So as Robin mentioned, our uh, ambassador community it transitioned from 100 people in 2016 to 1,000 in 2017 to 40,000 now in 2018. And so we owe it to that community to create environments in which we can not just share information and experiences, but help them learn from one another. And so examples of technology that we will be using for sure to come our, our own podcast oh, for great. the lively community. have to um, keep an eye out for that one. Please do. And potentially some type of social app or medium for them to communicate with one another where we're not even part of the conversation, but women that have had recently had a baby or are into fitness or want to start their own company can find one another within the community. Great. You, you obviously have other companies that sell into the same community. Do you monitor what they're doing on social media very closely? Is, is sort of the competitive universe and monitoring how they behave on social an inspiration for you or something you care a lot about? Or do you just kind of try to focus on what should we be doing on social? We 
culturally as a team say that we don't want to follow our competitors too closely because as humans you end up emulating them mm -hmm. or wanting to copy you know or you're naturally just inspired by what they're doing we want to be really focused on who we are as a brand and as an individual we think of lively as a person and we want her to live and breathe on her own and so with that we honestly we skip the competitors and we go right to the customer yeah, one of the like greatest examples of that is even the fit guy that you have and the recent launch of Busty Bralette. I would love for you to just tell us more about that and give us some color. Oh, I would love to. So when we launched the company, bralettes was a category that was really trending within the, the bra space. And so what we found was a lot of women loved the idea of Lively, but they were double D or triple D sized women. They said, that's great, but I can't participate in these products. And so we said, well, tell us more. And nine months after we spoke to these customers and really started to understand what they needed in these products, we launched something called the Busty Bralette. And we actually went a step further and we used those same women as our marketing. And we used the conversations that we're having with them as the copy. And that style sold out within 24 hours and had a 3,000 person wait list. Wow. In six months, yes. So we took that a step further and we said, wait, if we're gonna have a fit guide, it can't be an app or a quiz. It needs to be the community. And so we had an open casting and we said, women of the Lively community, please come to our HQ. We're looking to build a fit guide that shows women of all sizes in just one to four styles. We had 40 women show up. We were shocked because we were this new company that no one had ever heard of. But now if you go to the Lively Fit Guide, you can see a t-shirt bra, for example, on a woman from size 32A to size 38 double D. So you can connect from a human standpoint with what's my body type, what's my size, and that's what I would look like in that style. Really fascinating. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit. You know, on the show to date, we haven't had a lot of experience speaking with entrepreneurs who started companies that sell physical goods. Most of what we've done to date has been you know, software or applications of one sort or another, both to the enterprise and to the consumer. So this is kind of new for us. What are some of the challenges you have being both a digital product and selling a physical good? Sure, so when you're selling a physical product and one that's as complicated as ours, a bra, for example, has 40 components in one style. So that's 40 suppliers around the world that you have to have relationships with. Knowing that we also wanted to launch this physical product in 22 sizes is basically acknowledging that supply chain needs to be your number one asset. And so strategically, when we created Lively, we took our first investment from our manufacturers because we wanted to have an environment where product wasn't going to be good, it was going to be great. Mm. And so when you're working with product that you're selling physically, digitally, then there's a whole nother complexion in terms of how do you convey the quality of that product? How do you explain the fit of that product? And most importantly, visually, how do you win in terms of convincing and really inspiring the consumer to take a chance on you? Have you had any examples where maybe a certain fit or style that you brought to the market wasn't quite the quality you were hoping for or your, your customers were hoping for? And if so, how did you figure that out? What's the feedback loop like for your business? And then you know, how, how did you rectify it? Sure, that's the power of digital is that feedback is instant. It's such a gift. And we've absolutely learned some things along the way. I think one of the greatest examples that we have is that when we were building the product for launch uh, for Lively initially, there was this strap that we 
were using. And it was one of the most expensive straps out there. And we thought we were doing our consumers a favor by using this silk bounded strap. It had a, a very smooth and sleek style to it. And as soon as our consumers started to receive our product in the first couple of weeks, we instantly got feedback that strap is beautiful, but it slips. And so as she was adjusting it, the adjustment wouldn't stay in place and it didn't come out in the quality control because the QC wasn't wearing it for 14 hours. And so instantly we're like, wow, this is something we never would have uncovered without that customer feedback. And we were able to make the change obviously rather quickly, but our consumers did us a great favor. That's really cool. So you're a digital first, direct to consumer brand, but you're selling a physical product and you've uh, recently gone physical with your distribution as well. You've just opened a lively experience store in Soho. I haven't been there, but I hear it's amazing. And you've just recently rolled out in several Nordstroms as well. Why go offline? You know, you're doing so well online. What's what's the benefit to you of going offline and what are your plans with respect to offline going forward? Sure. So as a digitally native brand, physical has always actually been a part of who we are. It started with that ambassador community. When we realized how powerful that community was, we felt that we needed to give back to them. And so what we did when we first launched was we would host events. We would say anything and everything that our consumers love to do that drive an emotional uh, moment where they just have to go home and tell their loved ones about what they did, that's what we want Lively to interact on. So it would be anything from a succulent class to soul cycle takeovers, to calligraphy and DIY workshops. And after doing those physical interactions, we realized the power of the impressions and the consumers that we were acquiring through mm. those events, which led to pop-ups, which led to our first lively experience store here in Soho. Got it. And any learnings from the, the Soho store so far? Yes, absolutely. So one, we're loving it. It's a total girl den, and I would definitely live there if I could. <laughs> <laughs> Two, just seeing the ambassadors enjoy that space and knowing they have a home and a consistent place to go and actually build their brand. So you have women coming in and hosting hip-hop classes. We have a book reading tonight by a girl that's publishing her first book to a philanthropy that uses space on Sunday to raise money for mental health awareness. It's really powerful what happens in that space when you're bringing these types of women together. And from a business standpoint, it's an environment for them to actually try new products and give us feedback in real time. And that's really impacted our 2019 pipeline. So it's a gift on both sides. And how's it going at Nordstrom's, a more traditional retailer? Yes, Nordstrom is just another amazing story. So right after we launched, Nordstrom approached us. And our point of view was that we really believe in the power of brand cohesiveness. And so we weren't ready to let our baby out of the house. But they spent two years speaking with us and really understanding what was important to us from an aesthetic standpoint, from customer service to the idea of no markdowns and no sales, et cetera. And we were so proud to launch in 11 stores with a lively pop-in in Nordstrom near the escalators, not in the back of the store or in the corner, but in a real environment where our community could come in and new consumers could discover us. So the good news is it's going really well. Awesome. It's great for your ambassadors and community members who are all over the map and not just limited to coming to New York. Exactly, exactly. One of the most exciting things about the store is that you can even vote for a lot of new products. And so I love voting for the glitter, <laughs> voting for the loungewear, voting for all the different products that might come. Yeah, it's really a lot of fun. 
As a lively board member, we've really gotten to know each other a lot over the past two years. And one of the great things is sharing a lot of feedback and ideas with each other. And last year, you came along with us on a CEO trip to China. And I know you've been to China many times before, especially because of supply chain and production and manufacturing. But we did get a chance to go to Beijing together last year with other GGV portfolio companies. And I think you said, you know, this was an eye-opening experience. And so could you just tell us a little bit more about that and how it changed your perspective or maybe even influenced your strategy? Absolutely. So, you know, Robin and I have really gotten to know each other over the last two years, and she's seen how I have a really keen sense for curiosity. Um, <laughs> and so going to Beijing really opened my eyes to a whole nother way of thinking about consumerism, transactions, and just actual human manpower. One of the most interesting things that I saw on that trip to Beijing was how that country was leveraging technology to really automate transactions, not to automate and reduce the need for humans, but actually use human labor in a much more strategic way. Transitioning human labor towards customer experience, greeting customers when they come into an environment, and really helping them find the products they truly need and want in that moment. So you're no longer waiting in line to check out. Out, you're coming into the store and having an amazing experience with a human, and the transaction piece is seamless. And especially because in China, there's so many people. <laughs> and so, like, how can you become more efficient? But not only that, I mean, you talked a lot about Instagram, and there's no Instagram in China, right? There's no Facebook, there's no Twitter. And so, you've met some of our companies in the portfolio, like Red or Keep, who have become more of like an Instagram substitution in a way. Can you tell us a little bit more about you know your thoughts around that? Sure. So funny enough, I learned the hard way that there's no Instagram or Facebook or Google in China. <laughs> yeah. It was a really nice data cleanse as well for me. But what I did see and learn was it's really fascinating how they're using social media and social media platforms to create these vast and extremely engaged communities. Keep is an excellent example of how they're really unlocking that human hunger for fitness within the environment of China. And they're bringing together that like-mindedness and taking it a step further for those people to challenge themselves, award each other, congratulate each other, and then build an actual commerce and advertising platform with those communities coming together. I mean, phenomenal. Yeah, so for our listeners, Keep is another GGV portfolio company based in China that focuses on exercise and physical activity as its sort of meaning of life. And uh, all the users on Keep work together and have created this strong community. Do you, did, you know, any inspirations you, you picked up from Keep and others in China that you've now brought back? to business here at Lively? Sure. So the idea of what Keep does strategically, and even honestly, I visited their headquarters and the culture that they maintain within their office and their headquarter environment, it's seamless. So their brand experience on the app to the brand experience within the team is authentic. And so that's one thing that we've brought here, that the Lively environment breeds and is holistic in every facet of the brand. But from a business standpoint, the way that they're engaging their ambassadors and giving them reasons to come back to the app and either comment or you know, high five someone through an emoji is something that we're really inspired to create mm -hmm. for our ambassador community that's, you know, now tens of thousands of women. And so you know, for your community, you've expanded quite a bit for Lively, right? In the past two and a half years, you've went from just bras to 
uh, swimwear, activewear, loungewear, and even fragrance. And you know, a lot of your competitors who are also startups haven't expanded across other categories. Why did you take this route? Sure. So you know, when I created Lively, I purposefully wanted something that could sell bras today and concert tickets tomorrow. If you look at our homepage, it literally says today bras and undies, tomorrow the world, because we wanted it to be a flexible environment where our customers could be on the journey as to where Lively goes in the future. And so swimwear was something that happened much faster than we ever anticipated. Uh, about a month after we launched, women were wearing printed Lively bralettes on the beach, and we're like, whoa, don't get in the water. That is not what that product's meant for. And they're like, great, make a bikini for us. And so all of these expansions have come from consumer interactions, conversations, and requests. It's been rather natural. Have you been intentional about trying to get to new ideas from your, your current set of customers and community? Or is this has this been kind of just a, a, a natural evolutionary process? Or, or really, is there some like product management experience that you, you shoot for with the community? Sure. No, that is a, a very strategic thing that we have been focused on from the beginning. It's one of our core values where the community actually dictates where the brand and the organization goes because we don't want to be a corporation that's talking at our customer. We want to be a company that's being built with our customer. And so it's something that we actually spend a lot of time on via customer service, via physical events, via, honestly, like Google surveys, whatever it takes for us to see trend lines in terms of needs and wants is something that we're very focused on. So one of the things we mentioned earlier that I really want to revisit was about how you've built the company culture and how you surrounded yourself with the team that you have today. In these past two years, you really were able to recruit all these talented women to join your team. And I remember when you, you even share with me how many times you know, someone would quit their job and be like, I just want to work for Lively is, and there's not even a posting, but can you hire me? And so can you share some of your stories and how you thought about building your team? Sure. So in the early days, Lively had one employee, it was me, and uh, I really started to think about, well, how do I attract the best culture? And so step one was to build an environment that evoked that. So we're sitting in my office with a board that visually represents what Lively stands for. And let me tell you, that board is gold in terms of recruitment. So it was the first thing that I actually did because I needed to make sure that as human beings, we weren't just verbally saying things to one another, but that we were visually seeing the same thing. And so I used the strategy of, if you build it, they will come, field of dreams, thank you very much. Um, I needed to create an environment and create that idea of this is going to be something vast. This is going to be something that impacts the world. This is going to be something so much more than just selling bras. And once I was able to articulate that both visually and verbally, I started reaching out to the network. And it was really important for me that I was surrounded by women that were first and foremost here for the impact of what Lively was going to be, not here for fashion, not here for lingerie, not here for you know economics, but more so here to make an impact. And once I had that focus and started to have conversations, it just became a little um, contagious. So I think one of our best stories is our first full-time hire, Ali um, Alquiza. She was working for a company for 10 years. And this company created those beautiful bags that you would get at Bergdorf's when you bought makeup. And when I was creating the company, I said, well, we need to give our customers something because we don't have sales and markdowns. Let's create cute tote bags or something interesting for them. So I brought her in as a vendor opportunity. 
And then I noticed after our first meeting, she came back a week later with a beautiful deck and a PowerPoint. I'm like, you know I don't have any money, right? Like this company hasn't even launched. And the next week she would come back with another presentation. I said, what is going on? And she's like, I just want to work here. I have to be a part of this. Absolutely, you're in. That's such a great story. I want to share a story of my own and, you know, just how incredible a leader Michelle is. And just as a personal friend and also a CEO within our portfolio. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I remember when I first met you was that you were pregnant with your second child. And then you came back to work two weeks later. And so that really blew everybody away. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, how did you do it? And kind of what is your advice to other founders or leaders who are facing a lot of these similar decisions? Sure. So yes, it's absolutely true. Two months after I launched Lively, I found out I was pregnant with my second child. Amazing and terrifying all in one moment. But I realized that I I owed it to myself and to my community to demonstrate that as women, we shouldn't be choosing between what we want and love for ourselves. We should actually be asking for support to get it all done. And so that's exactly what I did is I built a network around me and I have an incredible husband that I owe the world to in terms of what I'm able to do within my life. But what I did was I focused. I really set clear guidelines to this is what can get done and this is what can get done well. And I tried to breed that down to my staff and our team to say, we're not going to get it all done, but we're going to get these three things done really well. And that's what's going to be critical in terms of driving the growth of this organization. So that's relentless commitment to customer service. That's a keen focus on social media and marketing. And most importantly, that's ensuring that our KPIs are stable. If you have those kind of elements and that focus in the critical few, you can kind of see through all of the noise. But I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That year was definitely tough, and there was a lot of adrenaline running through my veins to get me through. And I think you said it made you become even a better entrepreneur and more efficient with your time. Absolutely. I have very clear guardrails on my time for me personally, with my children, with my husband, and with my business. You just naturally become more efficient. So for all those female entrepreneurs out there, have some babies. It'll make you really good. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's unexpected advice, but awesome advice. So Michelle, this has been fantastic. We're going to end with our quick fire round. We're just going to ask a few questions. Give us the first thing that comes to your mind. We'll spend maybe a minute on each. Uh, So here's the first question. Give us a book or some other piece of content that you'd recommend that you've enjoyed as an entrepreneur and founder that you think other entrepreneurs and founders ought to read or, or, or consume in some way. Sure. Um, you know, Blue Ocean Strategy, the first edition for me, I remember reading it early on in my career and it just really opened my mind to the idea of ideas. And the other thing is how I built this. That podcast is phenomenal. So in addition to Founder Real Talk, that's your that's, that's now my second, second favorite, favorite favorite podcast. Just yes, checking. Second. Okay. okay. <laughs> Who are some mentors that have helped you along the way? Sure. So, I mean, my parents are my greatest mentors, but additionally, you know, one of our other board members, Harvey Sanders, a gentleman who, uh, you know, built the brand Nautica and has seen that brand through an acquisition as well as a company like Under Armour going public has been a phenomenal support. And honestly, my board members for me have been amazing mentors. I mean, even Robin has been somebody that I go to and text midday, mid morning, Hey, what do you think about this idea? Or have you heard this? Like, let's chat about it. Those are the relationships that you know I really value. Tell us about an entrepreneur you really admire and, and why. 
So this is a little different, but Diane von Furstenberg, she's a woman that created a brand and a product that has lasted decades and recessions and technology. And she's maintained the core values of what DBF stood for in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. It's a relentless commitment to her brand values. Okay. I want to ask one more bonus uh, hot seat question. You said that you treat Lively as if Lively was a person. If Lively was sitting here across from you today, what would you tell Lively? Uh, one, I would tell her she kicks ass. And two, <laughs> awesome. Um, I would say don't stop. Keep on keeping on. You know, the thing that has gotten Lively to where she is today is her passion for figuring it out. We had no idea how to create our first box, our first email, our first store. And that's honestly been the most rewarding part of it all, figuring well, it out. From GGV, I know Rob and I and the rest of our team are very happy that you're telling Lively to keep on going and never stop because we, uh, we know there are big things in store for you and uh, anybody listening today can understand why. This was a great conversation. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts. Thank you guys, I had a great time, thank you. You've been listening to Founder Real Talk. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app to help others find this podcast. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask our guests or founders you'd like to hear on this podcast, feel free to email us at founderrealtalk at ggvc.com. We're produced by Ted Carstensen and his team at HeavyBit. We wanna thank Ted for his support. Our theme song is by Grapes. GGV Capital is a global venture capital firm that invests in local founders. As a multi-stage, sector-focused firm, GGV focuses on seed to growth across consumer, social and internet, enterprise cloud, and frontier tech. The firm was founded in 2000 and manages 6.2 billion in capital across 13 funds. Past and present portfolio companies include the likes of Affirm, Airbnb, Alibaba, Didi, Grab, Hellobike, HashiCorp, House, Keep, Namely, New, Opendoor, Peloton, Poshmark, Slack, Square, Wish, and many more. The firm has offices in Beijing, San Francisco, Shanghai, and Silicon Valley. Learn more at ggvc.com or follow us on Twitter at, at GGV Capital or GGV Capital on WeChat. <laughs>